When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Believe in Everything Auburn is brought to you by Bet Online. The holiday season is off and rolling with NFL in full stride and the NBA NHL hitting mid-season form. BetOnline is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info with the -the up-to-the-minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions that you need. BetOnline is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And it's not just the big four. BetOnline has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that is played, MMA, even to international soccer. So head to the BetOnline website today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is B-L-E-A-V, BetOnline, where the game starts. War Eagle, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> Oh no, y'all. We can't even get through the dang intro and I've already lost my co-host. If you're not watching on YouTube, you probably should be because our expressions are going to tell it all. But nonetheless, welcome to Believe in Everything Auburn. I'm Taylor Davis. He's a very (laughs) upset Jason Campbell, but we're here and we're going to do our jobs as we do. It was amazing until it wasn't in the last minute or so of this year's Iron Bowl. The 10-year anniversary of the kick six, and it seems like some magic was once again present, but it went the other way this time. Unfortunately, the Tigers narrowly lost to Alabama at home in our regular season finale, 27-24. to But I would love to hear your take on it as someone who was not able to be there in person, seeing the videos and the photos it seems like it was the best representation of an Auburn football game day environment that you could have had. And on the heels of a really embarrassing New Mexico State loss at home, it could have gone the other way. You could have seen a disgruntled, lackluster fan base, but that's not what you got. You got it reiterated to you that the Auburn family, the Auburn faithful are still strong and this thing is headed in the right direction. So I would I would love to get your take on the good before we kind of talk <laughs> about why it unfortunately ended the way it did. Ooh, I'm going to take a deep breath for a second, but I, <laughs> I would like to say this, though. It was a tale of two different weeks. And totally. the weekend before we played New Mexico State, we had no energy. Uh, we didn't show up. And fast forward seven days later, the atmosphere is electric. You know, people showed up. They showed out. Uh, you know, it was just loud. And exactly what you want from an Iron Bowl type of game with all the energy and everything. And you couldn't tell that it was an embarrassing loss the week before because mm-hmm. the Iron Bowl just kind of – the energy was just there. And from a standpoint of this, 
Alabama scored first. We come out the first series, we get the ball. You know, I'm always telling you I like getting the ball first because I right. think you get a chance to get in rhythm offensively early. But we went three and out. And then Alabama gets the ball, and they go down the field, and they score. And you didn't hear fans getting rattled. You didn't hear people getting gruntled. We get the ball back again. We go mm-hmm. three and out again. And, you know, everyone just kind of stayed patient. And then, of course, Alabama scored another touchdown, got called back for holding and everything. So that ended up helping us out. But then the next time we went, we drove the, we drove the ball down the field. And in that series, Taylor, is when I think our offense and our team realized we can beat these guys. Because mm-hmm. in that series, was we started just pounding the rock. And they couldn't stop it. And it was just yeah. Jarquez right, Jarquez left. And then it was Damari Austin right, Damari Austin left. And we was just going down here to hill at them. So the team is only giving up 117 yards per game on average in the rush. Yeah. And then we rushed the ball for over 260 net. But then we, you know, a couple of sacks brought it down to 244. But yep. you're talking about we doubled the yardage in rushing the football against a defensive front that has Dallas Turner, you know, all these big mm-hmm. guys up front, like, you yeah. know, that, that that was a group right there. But we did what we had to do. We stayed out of passing situation where these guys peel their ears back and they come after the quarterback like they did at the end of the game uh, when they forced the fumble. But more than that, we neutralized them because we could run the football. And that's the thing right. about this team. It showed that it showed a lot of heart. It showed a lot of redemption, which is what we wanted to see. And I know their hearts were broken. You know, so so was all of us that was pulling for these guys, especially senior class, to go out and high know. note beating Alabama. And you have them, you know, and it and it, that fourth and thirty one, it hurts in a lot of different ways. Just because, you know, you can say whether well, we could have rushed more than two, or you can say we could have done this or done that, and then, but all of that is just to say, like, hey, you still got to get credit what credit is due. You know, you give Miro too much time to stand in the pocket. And you're taught as an offense when you're going through game plans as it gets to this situation, the best thing you can do for an offense is rush two or three. The reason yeah. I say that is they can pass off the block, the quarterback can buy seven, eight seconds, allow your receivers to run deep into the end zone and then peel back out towards the pylon. That's a natural play in that situation. And the reason that is the, the where he was going with the football the entire time is because you think, defensively everybody think it's going to be a hail mary pass to the middle of the field yeah that's not what it's going to be so if you watch miro he eyes to the right and he eyes to the middle to keep everybody holding that way but knowing his one-on-one matchup was backside between isaiah bunn and dj james that was his Mm -hmm. one-on-one and he did that and held everybody where he wanted them to until the last second and he was able to hit isaiah throwing that ball high enough for him to peel away from dj and come down with the ball That's the only reason I don't like rushing two or three, because if you sure. pressure him a little more, the ball's got to come out quicker and you can rally and tackle. I, I was thinking from a quarterback's perspective, you probably breathe a sigh of relief when you see that that's what a defense has chosen mm-hmm. to do. But I mean, Coach Freeze stood by the call and and said he doesn't have a problem with that decision. And ultimately, you you have to go with what you think is best in that moment. And we also all know the the major implication that the muffed punt had a little bit before that to even set them up in a situation like that. And it it was, it was brutal right there at the end. But I think what you realize is, but then it's kind of contradicted when you look at New Mexico state the week before, I really still don't know how to make sense of that one. Now I'm very confused by that because when you look at the Georgia game, when you look at the Alabama game, 
even Ole Miss, some of the top teams in the country, the margin for error was very small. I, I mean, like we're not getting absolutely destroyed in these situations against the top tier talent, the upper echelon of college football in the country. But what you see is when it comes down to those margins of error, when it comes down to that one or two play, those that one or two moments of execution, the great teams are the ones that capitalize. And the ones that aren't quite there yet are the ones that crumble. And I think that that was on display. I think over the course of this season, you saw Auburn is closer than we probably thought we would be, and definitely closer than a lot of critics thought we would be, but not quite there yet. And when you're looking at the situation, fourth and 31, backs against the wall, they've struggled in this game. Part of you thought they're going to pull it off, or at least part of me thought that, because it's what they've built. It's what they've been built to do. These kinds of moments, Bama knows how to execute. The really great teams the Georgias, the Alabamas, the ones that have stayed at the top for a long time. It's not always dominating wins. It's really scrappy, ugly wins. And when the moment comes, you rise to it. It's not too big. That's ultimately what it came down to. And I think that distinction, if we took one, one thing away from this season, I think it's a little bit of an indicator of we're actually kind of close. Yeah, we're close, and the schedule's getting harder. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the that's the thing about it. You know, next year you get Oklahoma and you get Missouri mm-hmm. on the schedule. You know, two teams that are trending upwards right now. Uh, sure. But I think I think for Auburn, the best thing they did was they showed so much heart and fight. There was over eighty recruits at this game, and about ten five stars, which I don't really, I don't really, you know. Blue, blue, blah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I like to say <laughs> I any guys that compete when they get to a certain level. I think it had a major impact and a major implications on on how they look at Auburn. I they agree. don't no longer look at Auburn as like, oh man, you know, they won three in a row, but then they lost New Mexico State. Like, I think they now look at it and say they got caught overlooking a New Mexico State team. Right. Because if you look at the Auburn team that played Saturday and the team that played against New Mexico State. It's like two totally different football teams Mm -hmm. and real good, real good teams know how to win those games week in and week out. That's the difference right now. And that's what we're learning. This football team is in a learning phase where they have to develop the winning attitude. Taylor, they haven't won in the last four years, like a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's what I think we haven't won more than six games or something like that in four years. So you're talking about that's not Auburn, you know, so mm-hmm. you, you got to reintroduce the winning mindset. And the other thing is you got to know how to win. See, Bama, Georgia, these teams, they know how to win. You know, yeah. when the game's late five minutes, last five minutes to go in these ball games, and the game, they're down three or they're tied up, you're taught all of these situational football aspects during practice. You go through all of it. But the one thing that you can't teach is the experience in game-like situations. It, you right. can do it Monday through Thursday when there's no pressure, no one's there. But when those lights come on and those moments happen, can you do it then? That comes exactly. from actually physically doing that in games where you won games that way. 
And yep. we haven't beat the Georgia and the Bamas that way in the last couple of years. You know, two years ago, we had them beat at home and we mm-hmm. lost off a situational play. You know, if we stay in bounds, we run more time off the clock. Bama uses their timeout. We probably win that game. So that's the tough part about this is we lost games where we didn't get beat. We actually beat them. We just didn't beat them on the scoreboard because we lost mm-hmm. in the situational part of it. Yeah. And people don't realize this, too, as a punt returner. And everyone has to apologize, even myself and Andy. We have to apologize because everyone thought it was Keontae Scott. It was Keontae. Right? I know. Even you know, Hugh so, did. Yeah. So everyone thought it was Keontae <laughs> because they both were zero. The biggest yeah. difference about that is if you're a punt returner, you get used to seeing the ball come off the foot of the punter. And when you're seeing that ball come off the foot, you have a feel for where the ball is going. You know how to feel that punt. You know, you know, in that situation, if you just come off the sideline and you are now into that position, I don't know if Keontae was hurt. I still don't know yet if he was, was injured wondering. or what, uh, or why he wasn't out there in that situation. But if you come out there in that type of situation, you haven't feel that this kid's punt the entire game. Right. And then all of a sudden on that one is like, it's coming at you that at the end, it kind of comes a little shorter than you try to run mm-hmm. up and catch it and then you lose your footing that's the other part you're not used to the footing because you haven't played much in the game he didn't even go in the game as yeah. much as a receiver so he's not used to the footing Ooh. and you lose your foot while you're trying to catch the ball and then and, and it squeaks out and bama recovers it all those things details details little things it matters and everybody always say yes you joke around about it or it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter until it does and then yeah you like, oh, it's time to take these things serious. But this is a great learning curve for this football team. I'm still broken for these kids because it's pulling so hard for them, especially after you lost in New Mexico State. This would kind of like you can't erase that, but it would have showed that, hey, that just who that's not us. We just mm-hmm. we didn't show up that week. We overlooked them. Let's just be honest, you know. But yeah. when you lose a game like this, it's just like, man, like that would have been a great pick me up for these kids. Huge. The more times you're in those circumstances, the more you rep it, the more intense situations that you're in, when you're really playing for a lot like they have been in the last 87 years, you have that kind of mentality of this one won't slip away. Somehow, some way we figure it out. That's what we do. Auburn's got to establish themselves as that. We're not yet, but... I think that this games like that games like Georgia, where you can look at it and it is small minuscule adjustments that would have gotten the win, but they're very much attainable. You've got to be hungry for that. If you weren't already now to have that taste of it was within our grasp in year one. So imagine when we have a little more time, imagine when we get a little more talent, when we start developing guys our way, what this thing could look like. So as debilitating and deflating as it was, I also think in a way it it really lit a fire because it was very much within reach in year one. Kirby Smart actually was asked about it in one of his press conferences ahead of the SEC championship. Someone alluded to, you know, your opponent is kind of limping to the finish line. And Kirby was like, don't talk to me about playing at Auburn. Like that is a different animal. And I, I do, I'm glad that that's not some yeah. bias that we have, that we have some crazy environment. No, yeah. the top two coaches in the nation will tell you there's something different about playing them there. But I, when we look at this season as a whole, and obviously when, you know, we still have a bowl game ahead, but 
you never know these days what that's going to look like, who's going to actually play and all of that. So when you look at this season, yeah, don't get me started on that conversation. But when you look at this season as a whole, what did you, what did you learn about this coaching staff in particular? And obviously led by Hugh Freeze, it had its changes over the course of season. It had its adjustments and there were some close calls that ultimately didn't go our way. But like we've said, you saw progress and you saw glimpses of what it could be. So with the first season in the rearview mirror, what did they build on from here? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, that's a really great question. When I think about this season and this coaching staff is we're still a young football team and we lost a lot of tough games against some very, very good opponents. Uh, it's no coincidence that Kirby Smart said what he said about playing Auburn in Auburn yeah. when you're their arch rival. That is a different, different animal. And a lot of people don't understand that until you actually been to the game or you participated or you covered the game, you'll know. Uh, I think for Coach Freeze, a lot, I think he learned more about Auburn this year than what he thought he knew. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can think you know certain things, but then once you get there, you're actually in the thick of it. Now you learn a lot more. So I think for him, that was a big plus because he'll know how to adapt continuously as they move forward. Uh, from right. a player perspective is we learned a lot about our needs, uh, what we need moving forward as a football team. Like, uh, you know, we got to create pass rush. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, consistent play of quarterback is another thing. Mm -hmm. uh, got to have playmakers on the outside of the receiver position. Uh, you yes. got to have those guys that can catch the ball. You got to have guys that can get yak after catch. Create um, separation we, in routes. We, right, create separation routes. We understand that with a veteran offensive line, we can run the football. Now yeah. we just got to learn uh, a little bit better in pass protection. We can get better mm -hmm. in pass protection. Uh, but that you're talking about a group of guys where you probably lose Gunner Britton, you probably lose Avery Jones, but then you still got a buck of your guys coming back. That's a sure. big plus. So I think getting that valuable experience together with those guys up front was huge. Uh, for his coaching staff, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how him and Coach Montgomery continue here because uh, Me too. I, I like Coach Montgomery. He's a good person and everything. Same. I think, uh, and I, I think he may get to the point where he said, hey, I can help implement the plays. I can help, you know, be the offensive coordinator. Hey, you can call the plays. Go ahead. You call right. them. You know what I'm saying? Right. So maybe they get back to that because I know as a head coach, Gus tried it numerous times to say, all right, I'm letting, you know, Rhett Lashley call it or, you know, they somebody can't. else call it. But it's just hard. You know what I'm saying? The yeah. competitive comes out of you. You're used to calling what you're calling because play call is not like I just see something. It's a feel too. You know, totally. like you have to go off of what you're feeling and what you're trying to set up later in the game. And I think, you know, as much as you try to take your hands off of it, I think you're best fit for why you got the head coaching jobs with the cost of your play calling and how you were able to dial up certain things in certain moments to help your team be victorious. So right. we'll see what happens with that. Does that transpire in the offseason as you go back to play calling? Uh, I think defensively, um, like you said, I, I thought the guys got after it for most part of this year. Uh, you know, like I said, two games, we just said uh, we didn't show up LSU and New Mexico yeah. State. But against our rivals, we showed up. Against Ole Miss, mm -hmm. we showed up. You know, defensively, they've had a really, really good year. Uh, I think they went so Texas many games. Texas A&M. 
Yeah, Texas A&M. Yeah, it's only touchdown. It's three. <laughs> yeah, only touchdown. So <laughs> defensively, this was a really, really good team. I'm excited about the young corners that we have. I'm excited yeah. about some of the young safeties that we have. Um, I think this team. I think we can get more depth at the linebacker position. Uh, mm-hmm. Most definitely, you need more depth at the linebacker position. So all these things with the transfer portal, with high school kids coming out now, you can change things quickly nowadays. You now, can. People can look at that on paper, but Taylor, it also comes down to the right fit. And the I reason know. I say that is there's a certain guys who signed this past year and it just didn't, it, we thought it was going to work out and it didn't fit. Nick Martiner from Cincinnati, six, six receiver. Yeah. We didn't hold the scene true. this year. You know, Jair Shorter tore it up at North Texas, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, started the first couple of games, kind of trended out, didn't see him as much this year. You know, uh, so there's just, you know, so you can sign different guys, but at the end of the day, you still have to make sure they fit in your yeah. program. Well, and it's, you know, it's one thing to show enough to where a coach is interested in getting you to a new program, but then you still have to continue showing things and being coachable and being developed and mm-hmm. taking leadership roles, whatever they need you to be. And not everyone assimilates as well. You know, I think that it actually is a, a challenging thing, the whole transfer element of it because you get there to a pre-established group and have to find your fit. And some guys really thrive, Elijah McAllister, and some don't and kind of get lost in the shuffle. So that will continue to be a talking point of the transfer portal as long as it's around. And speaking of, the chaos ensues on December 4th. So next week, the winter transfer portal window will open Pray for all college football head coaches because December <laughs> is insane. Like I really don't, mm. I don't envy their situation in the month of December because it is so chaotic. Now, granted, they're making the money to make up for it, but it is a, a very tough time of year, especially for the coaches that are still playing in postseason or the ones that have taken on new head coaching jobs, which we will get to in just a moment. But uh, continuing to kind of put a bow on Auburn's regular season, um, you you mentioned some of the positions that will need to be added to as uh, season or as the offseason ensues. A couple guys that are expected to depart already, defensive linemen, I don't even know how to say his name. Enos? Anice? Oh, Anich. Ines, whatever. Sledge. Um, He has announced his plan to transfer, and reports came out this morning that wide receiver Omari Kelly is likely to enter the portal as well. Will not be surprised to see several more names. I, I think a lot of people fully expect that Robbie Ashford may depart. Quarterback movement will likely continue. I also want to uh, issue a quick correction because we have said on a prior episode uh, that Peyton was on his final year of eligibility. That is not true. He does have another year of eligibility. After the whole COVID thing, I can't keep up. I mean, there are kids (laughs) playing their eighth year of college football that I am having to cover on a weekly basis. It is insane. Um, So Peyton Thorne does have another year of eligibility. I won't be surprised to hear that he is staying. I think that that makes more sense. I don't think he did enough this year to where he could pursue the draft or uh, anything like that. And after a year kind of getting your legs under you, it certainly would make sense to stick with it. Um, The rest of the quarterbacks remain to be seen. Guys like Holden Gurner, Robbie Ashford, who certainly ended up on the back burner as season continued. We'll, We'll watch for that. But 
what kind of guy are you looking for if you're this Auburn coaching staff? Well, you want like the season started off with them substituting Robbie and um, Thorn at Peyton. the same time. You know, like mm-hmm. they was just going in and out. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like it was confusing at times, and because you're trying to do utilize a certain play to fit this one's ability, and the same for the other. But you kind of just want a guy that just can run every aspect of your offense without coming off the field. Uh, yeah. You know, that way you don't have to you do that as much. So that's the thing, I think, when it comes to, to this position in this offense. The other thing is, is accuracy. You know, this game, you play against a lot of DBs that, that's going to play at the next level. And sometimes – and grit. You got to have grit yeah. to play quarterback in the SEC. Like, it is a tough, tough position to play in the SEC. Like, you got to have that grit. You got to have that 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 specialness about you that can galvanize your teammates to rally yeah. behind you. You know, where I can go to a defensive guy. I can go to a safety. I can go to the kicker, the punter, and I can get the same response because they respect you, you know, because yeah. you know how to galvanize guys as a leader. So I, I think that aspect of it right there is going to be the key for this football team. You know, whether Peyton comes back or whether someone comes in or Walker White, the high school kid that we're signing out of Arkansas, you know, mm-hmm. he comes in in January. Um, this is wherever it's going. It got to start from that leadership role and it got to start with, you know, that that mental toughness. You got to have mental toughness at this. And I, I do think. You know, this year was a tryout year for a lot of guys. Uh, You know, a lot of guys, this was just a tryout year. And I know you don't want to hear that as as an Auburn fan. You know, every year you want to be competing for a championship. But we have to be honest, too, though. Like, where we were these last two years was, like, we didn't have an SEC roster. We weren't even close Mm -hmm. to the SEC roster. So this roster is still being built to become an SEC roster. Yeah. And uh, that's the that's the thing that you should be excited about, the fact that you was in the Georgia, the, the Alabama, and the Ole Miss game with four minutes to go with an opportunity to win the game. And you not even had your fully roster yet. So yeah. that's, to me, that's encouraging moving forward. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that, that's what I would say just from the quarterback position. Yeah, definitely. This isn't a turnkey system. He didn't inherit some well-oiled machine that's just ready to continue cruising. We're having to rebuild the model. So if I'm a really highly touted kid in the portal, Auburn intrigues me because A, it's within reach, but B, they need those difference makers. So if I'm competitive and I am really confident in my talent, Auburn is such a good platform to go showcase that because you have all the resources, you have all the backing, you have one of the best college football experiences you could possibly have. And it's a program that's building and is looking for those difference makers. So you could come in and be that very quickly. That intrigues me if I'm one of these, you know, highly touted guys that's in the portal. But With some of the change has obviously come coaching changes as well. And we had spoken about the two firings happening a few weeks back. Those have both now been filled. So wanted to get your opinion on these Mississippi State hires Oklahoma offensive coordinator Jeff Levy on a five-year deal. 
And Texas A&M hires Duke head coach Mike Elko, who returns to College Station after having a four-year stint as their defensive coordinator from 2018 to 2021. Michigan State has also hired Jonathan Smith away from Oregon State to fill the role that uh, the Mel Tucker uh, absence has uh, added to Syracuse has fired Dino Babers. That job remains open, but I have seen stuff popping up on my phone as we've been recording that they are likely to go ahead and commit to Georgia DB coach Fran Brown as their guide. Dan Mullen was drawing a lot of interest and there were a lot of rumors that that was going to be the decision. But as of this hour, it looks like Fran Brown might be their guy. Uh, Indiana has fired Tom Allen. Houston has fired Dan Holgerson. The chaos continues. <laughs> but as far as these two right. SEC openings that we had talked about, Mississippi State with Jeff Levy and Texas A&M with Mike Elko, what are your initial thoughts on those choices? Coach Levy coming over from Oklahoma. I think that's a good fit. And the reason I say that is because Mississippi State already have players that have lined up in that offense to fit Coach Leach's system. And Coach Leach liked to air it out, oh, yeah. throw the ball all over the place. And now they try to go away from that this year with not the personnel that fits that, that what they were such trying a to do. Dumb decision. <laughs> so now they go back to a coach that can kind of line up with some of the talent that they have and not have to reinvent the entire wheel, you know, and, right. and they can bring in a coach that can offensively get this thing back going. The interesting thing was to me that I saw Will Rogers enter the portal yesterday. So that kind of tells me that either Coach Levy has someone that he's bringing with him once the portal opens and that already knows his system and already mm -hmm. knows what how to operate. So that kind of that that's intriguing because if I'm Will Rogers, I see a coach come in like this that can aerate the ball and what he's done, you know, in his all the years he's been an offense coordinator. Yep. I'm trying to stay put. You know, I would so think. that tells me they must have had a conversation already. And that, yeah. you know, that they're that this marriage is, you know, it's not gonna get off the get off the start. So right. that was interesting. Number two, um, Coach Elko. I think it was good for Texas A and M to do this route because Jimbo was an offensive minded coach. Coach mm -hmm. Elko, I believe, is a defensive minded coach. How he was a D coordinator yeah. there for a couple of years. I I like this because it's a familiar face. You yes. know, it's someone that kind of knows the program. It knows how it's, it's ran. It, it it understands how it's been operated. You're not bringing in this totally new person yeah. that's trying to fit the the core of what you're trying to do. You already know he knows a lot of the guys play. too. Right? Yeah, he knows a lot of the guys. He knows a lot of the everything that goes on around Texas A&M, and yep. he knows how to win. He took a Duke team and turned that program into a winning program. You yeah. know, so he knows how to win. So I think him going to Duke, getting that valuable head coaching experience and then coming back to a and is a is a win-win situation. So I think they did a really good job. Dan Mullen, name was mentioned back at Mississippi State, but usually you don't see yeah. coaches go back to where they coached at before. So I, I didn't really see that one happening. Now, there's a reason he was up in New York a lot, you know, doing a covering games and everything. And I maybe thought Syracuse up, was going to happen. Yeah, Syracuse probably came really close, but, you know, I, I don't know. Some of these guys, when they coach at that level in the SEC, a lot of them are trying to get back to that magnitude because That's it's true. hard It's hard to match anything other than that. You know, it's kind of like 
you know, once you play in the NFL and then you go play in the USFL, it's not the same. Mm, you know, you're trying to get back yeah. to the NFL. It's the same thing in the SEC. Once you get in these environments and you're not playing half your schedule, you know, you're just going to blow teams out because they're not just good at all. In the SEC, you know whether you're the bottom tier or the top tier, That's it's going to be dog fights most Saturdays. So it makes your job more intriguing to go in there and be like, hey, I got to dial in because we can get beat at any point because right. it is so competitive. So I wasn't surprised that maybe he, he he continued to wait it out a little bit, see what happens. But I thought Dabo would be on the move. I have honestly did. I thought Dabo would be on the move from Clemson. And, uh, you know, obviously it looks like for now he's staying put. And I thought March Stoops, I think it was a uh, – uh, That was crazy. <laughs> he was uh, – look – I always know that something is serious when Pete Thamel talks about it. He is so credible and so relied upon. He not only put out a tweet, they did a live report on it on college game day Saturday morning ahead of the Kentucky-Louisville game. So this thing had legs. This wasn't rumor. This seemed to be like the Iron Bowl. It was literally done. And then something fell apart at the very end. And there was a bit of an uproar from the Texas A&M faithful. They were not happy with how much, you know, noise it was getting. I don't know if that affected the AD and if that's ultimately what made the decision. But at like 1 a.m., Mark Stoops puts out a tweet to basically silence it all. And then Mike Elko flies in the middle of the night like freaking Santa Claus and just pops up at College <laughs> Station. What in the world? College football is the craziest world. I love both of these hires. I have spoken nothing but praise for Mike Elko since I covered Duke so many times last year. And I think so highly of him. And we kind of got a peek behind the curtain into what all he did at Duke as soon as he got there. I mean, he was involved in everything. He was involved in, we need to hire more social media managers because we're not marketing this thing well enough. Like he was, he had vision for all of it. And so you put him in a situation like Texas A&M that like you said, he has familiarity with already and you give him every resource imaginable that he didn't have a 16th of at Duke. I think it's a really good fit and I, I it'll be very interesting to see what they do there. And then Jeff Levy, I'm excited to see that one as well. He was the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss from 20 to 21. It was brief, but he did have some time in the SEC. He's actually Art Bryles' son-in-law. So he's got a, a lot of ties and uh, has been around football for a long time. He actually did uh, have a pretty lengthy stint at Baylor when RG3 was there. So he's been around some talented quarterbacks. He's had guys like Matt Corral, Mackenzie Milton, Dylan Gabriel, guys that certainly can air it out, but also are effective scramblers and know how to extend plays really well and also be a threat with their legs. And I, that's not really Will Rogers' game, not really his MO. So for a second, I was like, maybe Will is going to reconsider and stay. But I think ultimately he sees an opportunity to shake things up a little bit. I don't think that this past year was great for Will in Starkville, which is unfortunate because he is a great kid and he leaves what third all time in SEC passing yards. Like he, he did great things there and it sucks that it all kind of got overlooked this past year. So maybe it's more of a need for a fresh start than a new head coach. I, I mean, 
think about what all this kid's been through. He was very close with Coach Leach. It wasn't just his coach. Like, they had a very, very close relationship. So that passing and continuing to play there and then a staff taking over and doing what they did, I I just – the toughness that this kid had to have in the midst of all of that on and off the field. I don't think it's talked about enough. So maybe for him, it's more like this could be a really great situation, but I think personally, I just need a new surrounding. So you never know the the route behind it, but I'm also excited to see the results of this week's conference championships. I don't know that I've ever been this excited (laughs) For all of the matchups, obviously the SEC is always exciting, but I feel like you always expect ACC, it's going to be Clemson and Pac-12, I'll catch the highlights tomorrow. But this year, this year, those matchups are interesting, specifically the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington, the rematch Friday night. Bo put on an absolute clinic last week. If he is not top two in the Heisman candidacy, then it's all rigged. Like this kid. He's definitely top two. Like it was insane to watch him. And he still has some of that Bodini stuff that we used to see at Auburn, but it's way more fine tuned. It's not as erratic as it used to be, mostly because he was running for his freaking life in Auburn. But Uh, he's so much more in control and composed and methodical while still being kind of that magician quarterback that you see guys like Pat Mahomes, you know, implement. But Washington's tough too, and they had a great game against Washington State, and they're undefeated, whereas Oregon still carries that one loss. How does that affect them? This Pac-12 championship in the final year of the Pac-12 as we know it, I think is probably going to be the best game we see this weekend. Yeah, Pac-12 should have been patient. I really like this Pac-12 matchup. It's always tough to beat a team twice. It just is. Uh, you know, we had to do it against in 04 against Tennessee. And yeah. the first time we, we beat them really good. The second time was a dog fight, you know, down mm-hmm. to the end. We started off fast and they called back. And, you know, it's just hard to beat a team twice. But in order to win yeah. championships, sometimes you got to do it. You know, you just have to. The last couple of weeks, Oregon has been playing better. I'm going to have to go with, or I like both quarterbacks in this matchup. Two veterans, both of them five year yeah. starters in college, you know, as two and vying for the get. same thing. <laughs> All right, vying for the same thing. So I, I like that matchup. I'm going to have to go with Oregon based off defense. I like yeah. their defense better than Washington defense. And the fact okay. that you lost to them the first time, it's just something in you to just, you want to settle this thing, you know? Yeah. Okay. I'm going Oregon as well. That's my team that I have just been on that bandwagon all season. Okay, ACC championship, not the uh, participators that we see every year. Florida State against Louisville. Obviously, Florida State losing Jordan Travis in heartbreaking fashion. We had them on upset alert a little bit in Gainesville this past weekend, but they dug deep. They took care of business, defeating the Gators. They remain undefeated and head down to try and attain a title against a Louisville team that has had a lot of momentum under Jeff Brom this year, has pulled off some big wins, but lost to Kentucky this past weekend. So I think this one loses a little bit of glimmer because Louisville lost to Kentucky, a team that has been very up and down this season. If they beat Florida State, Florida State is out. 
I don't think mm. that you can put a one-loss Florida State if their loss is to Louisville, who lost two, one of which being to Kentucky. So if Florida State slips in this one, I think it opens up one of the final four. So I think that adds intrigue to this game. But I do think I'm going to go with the Knowles. I think even without Jordan Travis, they've got enough star power, and they didn't come this far to not at least end up with a conference title. Yeah, I'm looking down at some stuff. Florida State's defensive line is tough. They're tough. This game lost some luster. It's almost like last year's SEC championship where LSU LSU took the loss, took the the magnitude off the game because they lost to A&M before they played Georgia, which would have they were still in the playoff hunt. This is how this one feels. It feels the same as that aspect. So we'll see what happens uh, in this game. But I, I like Florida State winning this game. I really hate that Travis got hurt. You know, you, you want to have all your guys. I hate for a team to feel like they're getting punished because their star player, one of their star players is out. And that's kind of how this feels. They can say what they want to say that that's not the case, but that is the case. And it really uh, so is. we'll see what happens. But this still is going to be a really good game. The Big 12 championship will be Texas against Oklahoma State. Uh, Texas, obviously, with the edge right now over Alabama, we obviously are already talking about what could potentially happen if Alabama beats Georgia. Does that mean no SEC team gets in, or do they put Alabama in? But Alabama will have the one loss to Texas, but Texas needs to take care of business against Oklahoma State for their argument to completely be validated, and then ultimately the SEC championship will play into that as well. I do think they take care of business. Oklahoma State has been incredibly inconsistent. They got pummeled by UCF, but they beat Kansas they it's just been they beat Oklahoma. It's just been a very weird season for them. And while I think it may be, you know, an intriguing game at the beginning, I think I'm going to go Texas. This is another intriguing matchup because it's one of those games where last week I thought Texas did a really good job against Texas Tech of handling business. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't get caught looking ahead. And I think in this game, Oklahoma State though. If they could show up the way that they showed up against Oklahoma, this could be this could yeah. be a game. You know, this yeah. could definitely be a game. Uh, anytime it comes to conference championship games, you're pretty much gonna get the other team's best shot. Who has the most pressure on them in this situation? It's Texas. Totally. Oklahoma State has nothing to lose, so That's they can true. come out there and just let everything go. They could just throw the kitchen sink. Texas, you gotta. <laughs> You got to almost over prepare. You got to prepare for yeah. fake punts, you know, just different things like that. Like New Mexico State, when they came to Auburn, they hit us with that fake punt, you know, like at midfield. They didn't care. They had nothing to lose. Oklahoma State is like, hey, people what didn't even want us in this position. They wanted a rematch between Oklahoma and Texas. But guess what? Yeah. We beat Oklahoma, so we earned the right to be in this position. So now true. there is, yeah, there is a championship that we can get, but. The pressure's on Texas. How yeah. does Texas handle this pressure, knowing that Alabama's breathing down their necks as well? Because whatever happens in this SEC championship game, if Bama wins, they can say what they want to say. How do you not put them in? And I and I, I, can't, stand, I can't stand them at all, but I'm a realist. <laughs> you know, when you look at their schedule and everything, and you look at who they had to beat their last two games, like you had to be the Jaden Daniels offense that was just phenomenal this year against right. LSU. And then you come to Auburn, which is one of the hardest places to win against your arch rival. And 
you pretty much had to claw everything and got fortunate enough to win that game at the end. And then if you beat Georgia, which is basically I call a home game for Georgia because it's in Atlanta. Right. And everybody probably started buying their tickets halfway through the season because they just knew Georgia going to win the SEC East. Yeah. It's going to be 70% Georgia fans and 30% Bama fans. So if you win that game in that hostile environment, how do you keep them out? Like, I don't know how you keep them out. Like, you just. I agree. That would be the best win that anyone has had in college football in the past two years. This team has gone on a winning streak. They've won two consecutive national championships and you beat them on the conference championship stage. I don't think you can rival a more compelling win that Alabama would come in and, and attain. However, I think it gets a little weird if like if Alabama wins I would almost think you would want Texas to win, but then obviously Texas gets one of the four over you because they're mm-hmm. undefeated. But if Texas gets beat by Oklahoma State, then that loss to them looks uglier. Well, my thing is if if Texas wins and Alabama wins, yes, they're going to go to the head-to-head, but logically, though, you just beat the number one team in the country. I know. Now, I still think you know that trumps. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like you beat the number one team in the country. And not that you only beat them. You beat them in their state, you know, mm-hmm. which is pretty much a home game. Now, the other aspect of this is if Bama beats Georgia and is only 27 and 24, how do you keep Georgia out of the top four? They when ran the table. only loss. And they played in a championship game, and that's their only loss. How are you going to punish them for playing an extra game? You know, like that's and so true. Extra, we're not requiring playing, that yet. Right. And you're playing an extra game against a top 10 opponent. You know, it's not like you're playing an extra game against a 15, 20 ranked team. You are playing against a top 10 opponent and probably one of the Dang. teams that's playing the best football of top five teams in the country. So now where does Oregon and Washington stands at? You know, so if Oregon beats Washington, Y'all. of course, they move in front of them. <laughs> but if Washington beats Oregon, they have to stay at number four. Now, Michigan, who's Michigan? Well, we ain't got to that one yet, but as soon as we no. get to Michigan. Yeah. So this thing can get chaotic here real quick. That's why I'm glad yeah. we're expanding the playoffs because Same. it settles all of this. That will be a very interesting thing to see what the committee prioritizes because it feels like every year they're prioritizing something different. But that's why, like, give me an expanded playoff or give me death. Like, I'm so over all of this opinion-based decision-making. Let them duke it out. Right. Let them go. Like, right. Right. it's just the natural answer to all of it, especially as conferences continue to mm. do whatever the frick they're doing. Okay, so Big Ten, probably the least compelling of all of them. Michigan against Iowa. Iowa, who yeah. plays very good defense. I mean, right. that's the most low-scoring games all season. I saw somebody uh, at the Nebraska-Iowa game. They had sweatshirts that said <laughs> punt because that's pretty much <laughs> what you see in an Iowa game. And uh, Michigan did take care of business this past week. A crazy game, though, very close. Uh, this is not going to be a wopsided game like most people think it is because mm-hmm. it kind of it, it's a dangerous game for Michigan because – Iowa plays really good defense. Michigan runs the football. They didn't throw a football for a whole half of a game. (laughs) You know, like Corum, you don't have to. (laughs) Right. So my thing is, if you Iowa, you just line up and you do what Mm -hmm. you do from a defensive standpoint. Say, hey, 
you guys got to throw the ball because we're not yeah. going to let you run the ball. If you beat us to passing the ball, fine, be it. But we're not going to let you run the ball. So it makes this game really intriguing because why? I go back to New Mexico State and Auburn. I know I'm tired of talking about it, but I go back to that. <laughs> New Mexico State was a defense that was giving up 30-some points a game their first three games of the season. After that, they only allowed 17 points a game thereafter. So yeah. Iowa is a type of defense that they want to stronghold you and play slow ball, slow the game down as slow as possible, make you do things you don't want to do. They're going to make Michigan do what they don't want to do and put the ball in the air, and, yeah. and they're going to live by that. So this is a dangerous game because of that. They could slow play it and play great defense. And if you're like Auburn, you're used to running the football, they shut our run game down. We had to get into a passing mode, and we couldn't do it. Right. You know, so uh, so this game can be very, very intriguing. So people don't sleep on this Big Ten matchup. I would agree with that. And look, their championship was last weekend, honestly. Like mm -hmm. that game, we, we all saw the game day features. That game is talked about year round. It is plastered all over their buildings. That is what they play for every year. Now you add in that whichever one won is still in the playoff hunt and the other one's completely out. That had every ounce of their motivation, their focus, their energy. How do you get that juiced again against an Iowa team where the expectation is it's kind of like us against New Mexico State mm -hmm. and the opposite of Iron Bowl was the week after? Like, how do you match that level of intensity and focus in back-to-back -back weeks? Like, it is. Well, you got Harbaugh coming. Coach Harbaugh is coming back. So, coming back. So that brings a different aspect and then uh experience at that as well as knowing how to motivate guys to not yeah, overlook no. a team because this can be a sandwich game between them looking ahead to the playoffs who's your pick in michigan iowa oh that's michigan same okay i think so <laughs> we hyped that up to go ah michigan <laughs> uh okay as <laughs> we really mm. sold it though hey we analyzed we really it though it. We know, so people we did yeah, i think right. it could be closer than expected you're absolutely yeah. right Okay, SEC championship, Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, Alabama, Georgia. Georgia is uh, love to run the football as well. Bama loves to run the football. When it comes to passing the game, Beck has been solid when they asked to pass the ball. Same thing for Milrow. Ever since after the Texas game, he said after the USF game, he has been mm -hmm. maturing in the passing game. And it doesn't yeah. seem like no moment is too big for him. Both of these quarterbacks come in with inexperience playing in championship games. So True. this is going to be a matchup where between these two quarterbacks, who protects the football? who makes the best decisions and who understands to live to see another down. Don't try to force something that's not there. You will have two really good defenses. You have two really good defensive fronts that can get off, the, get after the quarterback and passing situations and who can neutralize the run game. Auburn was able to run the ball on both of these defenses and which, and, and I'm talking about at will. We ran the ball against yeah. Georgia at will. We ran the ball against Bama at will. So sure. one of these teams defenses and, and their coordinators looking at like, Hey, how do we run the ball against them the same way the Auburn ran the ball against us? Because yeah. now they have film to look at both. So whoever gives up the, the running attack is going to take the downfall in this game. I'm going to go with Georgia in this game just because that one domino effect brought Bowers. You know, it's yeah. just you, – you he's a tight end – but he's bigger than just a tight end. He plays like a receiver. He causes your linebackers and safeties to have to get out of position because you have to account for him each and every play. And it helps your run game if you're Georgia because you can't allow Brock Bowers to get to the second level behind yep. those linebackers and safety because you're being too nosy on the run game. 
So I like Georgia in this matchup just from that simple fact alone. Now, Bama will create pressures to try to knock Beck off his spot. That's what Saban does. Right. Kirby has not fared well against Bama when it comes to these championship games. Uh, and history has said that. So this is a game where the predecessor is going against the the, the boss, you know. So <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how this one shapes up. But he's gotten by the last couple of years because he hadn't had to face Saban in those SEC championship right. games. This time he has to. So we'll see how this thing really shapes up because it's, it's it's going to get very, very interesting. But Georgia has the biggest pressure on them because yeah. it's almost, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just tough for them because you're in a hard spot, man. You won 27 games in a row. And now you got to beat this, this your predator. You got to beat your boss pretty much for years to get to where you want to get to. That's hard yep. because he knows you. He hired you. You know, and y'all both know each other's defenses because y'all run similar defenses. So, yeah, that's why I say it's going to be a chess match. It really, really will. And so much riding on it for both of these teams. Um, I will actually be calling this one. I will be on the call for Westwood One, which is the national radio broadcast for the game. So if you are listening, I will be down on the sideline. So I am not allowed to pick because that would provide <laughs> bias and I'm not allowed to do that. So, uh, but I like your stance on things, Jay. And I think you provided some great analysis that I do happen to agree with. A lot of ripple effects to come off of these results. And then we will find out who is in the top four, who will be vying for that national championship playing in the playoffs. We will also find out bowl assignments. So make sure you stay locked with us. Subscribe if you haven't already. We do this podcast year round, even when it's not football. So make sure you lock with us and tell your friends that we're not going away just because football's coming to a close. We'll uh, we'll start diving into some basketball coverage here soon. So um, come on back next week. Subscribe if you haven't already. It'll give you a notification every time we release an episode. Follow us both, both on social media. Our handles are conveniently located at the bottom of the screen. If you are watching on YouTube, which we do every week, and are on Believe's YouTube channel, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts or the video element on YouTube. Enjoy Conference Championship Weekend. War Eagle. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.